Welcome to Trivially Crucial, where we believe every Peter Pan wannabe, spiritual koi fish, and misogynistic teacher is important and critical to our lives, no matter how unimportant a story may seem. So, Mandy, you and I, uh, it's been longer than it should have been since our last recording of the first part of this book, but today we get to finish off uh, book one of Avatar The Last Airbender. Yay! Water. Earth. Fire. Air. Long ago, the four nations lived together in harmony. Then, everything changed when the Fire Nation attacked. Only the Avatar, master of all four elements, could stop them. But when the world needed him most, he vanished. A hundred years passed and my brother and I discovered the new Avatar, an airbender named Aang. And although his airbending skills are great, he has a lot to learn before he's ready to save anyone. But I believe Aang can save the world. Previously on Avatar. So um, where we last left off, we had just finished uh, Avatar Roku episode... Uh, is it episode eight? What's the terminology for this again? Chapter, right? Uh... Chapter. Yeah, we yes. weren't. We didn't use that properly. But chapter eight, which is Avatar Roku, which is Winter Solstice Part Two, and now we're on to uh, the Waterbending Scroll. So, oh, the Waterbending Scroll. Yeah, do you want? It's the go? pirate episode. It is the pirate episode. <laughs> it's the pirate episode, and it's where we meet one of my favorite hybrid animals in the series. But uh, well. Yeah. What I think is interesting about this episode, of course, is uh, Katara, right? Yes. She, at the beginning, we meet her. Well, we don't meet her. We've already met her. You know <laughs> what I mean. We see her, and she's trying to teach waterbending to um, Aang, and he just gets it way too easily. Yes. And it's very upsetting to Katara because, you know, like all of the characters in Avatar do such a good job of being real people with real faults. And Katara's is that she kind of likes to be in charge. She kind of likes to know what's going on and kind of likes to be better than everybody else. And she accepts that Aang was better when it comes to things like, you know, being a warrior or something. But when it comes to waterbending, that's her thing. And she expects it to at least be hard for him to learn. And it's not. And, and that's the thing is, it, it's I don't even get the feeling that she doesn't expect him to get better than her. But the fact that he just picks it up instantaneously, you know, he's she's trying to. We saw her struggle earlier, where when you know in the fight, the best she could do was throw ice behind her when she was trying to throw it in front of her, and 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 earlier in, in the first half of the book, and this time, you know, she talks about how difficult something was for for her to pick up, and all of a sudden he's just floating water around as if it's no big deal. And the, yeah, yep. I, I, and part of that is too is by now she's kind of learned she is the adult in the group, um, and for that to not come out this way, uh, as far as to to not come out in this where Aang is just so clearly better than her, um, is kind of hilarious. But I think this is a good. This was a good time to have this episode with, with this focus on this aspect of her, because by this point we've accepted that she's the adult in the group and we didn't see as many childish aspects of her. Right. Um, and so this was a nice, this one and the next episode, which we're not going to talk about yet are both good examples that Qatar is a 14 year old girl. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so as you said, she offers to start teaching Aang waterbending. And um, this is also 
the debut of Pai Show and the Lotus Tile. <laughs> and oh it, yes, the Lotus Tile. The Lotus Tile, which is just wonderful. <laughs> oh, so yeah, as you said, we we do find that Aang is a natural at waterbending, and it's the only element, I guess, that we see him learn that comes completely naturally because he already knows airbending, uh, and and they are so close. I feel like yeah. airbending and waterbending. It just makes sense that this would be natural to him. Though we do get a nice uh, counter to that, of course. Yes. Later. Yeah. Uh, with Korra, but for Aang. They just, they're both so similar that waterbending is the, you're right, the only other element he doesn't struggle with learning. Right. Um, although, and we will, of course, address this in later books, part of that is all, part of that is due to the uh, the fact that water, much like air, is, you know, most of the time it's essentially around you and it's more or less harmless if you don't do things correctly when you're bending it. Um, and so it's kind of to get a little, case. uh, physics up in here you know water and air are both gases so liquids they're both uh i mean <laughs> in a in a in a physics sense like they, they both behave the same way yes. you know aerodynamics and hydrodynamics tomato tomato hydrodynamics is just incompressible aerodynamics so it makes sense that they would be similar yeah, it does. It does. And I, I do enjoy that I can follow that. Uh, uh, so, yes, we are introduced to pirates with a reptile bird, which is fantastic. Yes. Because <laughs> reptile birds, I mean, it's a reptile bird. What, what, what else could you want from a reptile bird than to be I mean, one? if you're a pirate, what other kind of creature would you want, right? Right. Reptile exactly. Bird. Exactly. Uh, this is, it's also interesting because, so as you said, you know, we know that Katar, we've seen her be the grown-up, but we see her want something so badly that we, uh, we actually, in the course of the story, and as anyone listening should already know, she steals. She steals a waterbending scroll that they find when they're in a store, and or in a shop, where, and uh, of course her justification is kind of hilarious, because it's the whole, well, they stole this, so I just stole it too. Um, <laughs> they're pirates so it doesn't matter <laughs> right but she does steal um from the pirates and it's just it shows something because she wants to learn waterbending so badly that she's willing to steal for that and you know she wouldn't do that for anything else and she would certainly reprimand the others for stealing something well it's like and that. it but the thing is, is it's not just that she wants to learn waterbending badly it's that she so badly wants to stay ahead of ang on yes, this absolutely um yeah absolutely then um, we are th- we are exposed to Cabbage Guy. My cabbages! This place is worse than Omashu! Uh, this is not... We've already met Cabbage Guy once We uh, at Omashu. Yes. And so this is the second time, I believe, that we see Cabbage Guy. Uh, and while, the, while our group is running from the pirates. And, of course, they cause him problems, as usual. Oh, Cabbage Guy. I love Cabbage Guy. <laughs> Um, uh, yeah. he's everywhere. So, but of course, when they're doing the training with the, uh, the water bending scroll, Katara actually explodes in frustration, but she really gets just downright angry and hurts Aang's feelings. Cause Aang is a child whose feelings are easily hurt. Um, and it's kind of nice to see her lose control like that. Uh, I guess the last time we really saw her lose control might have been in the opening when she burst open or when she basically revealed his iceberg is that 
Yeah. So I think I think so. She's she's always so in control and so grown up, and this is a time where she's just angry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. So uh, this is actually it's it's really fun. Um, we do see Sokka. So during the whole thing, we find uh, Fire Nation people actually track down the Avatar. Um, using and you know kind of enroll the pirates and helping them get the avatar um and we actually see again we see Sokka being clever which happens from time to time we see him kind of talk up the fact that hey look you've got the avatar why would you give the avatar over to the uh, who cares about that waterbending scroll you wanted like keep the avatar you can get a lot more money for him so um and so he effectively turns the pirates against the fire nation uh, it's it's people. a it's a perfect setup where it's like get them to fight each other and then uh run away in the crossfire right, right? <laughs> and we see the pirates use smoke bombs because they're pirate ninjas because i guess an- hybrid animals aren't enough so, uh why wouldn't you be both a pirate and a ninja it's true it's true <laughs> it I, ends all who is better ninjas or pirates are it does you right just there. you make them pirate both. Ninjas. you're done <laughs> um and we get uh is this when Aang basically, uh, Aang gets the bison whistle? Or did he get yes. that before? Yes, no, this is where he gets the bison whistle. And they're like, why did you buy that? It doesn't even work. And then, of course, And in he the bought end, it with, like, their last bit of money. Right, right, right. Um, and so there's the fun scene where they're all, uh, Aang and Katara together do some awesome waterbending to stop their boat from falling off the waterfall. And then another boat crashes into them and knocks them off. But... Aang uses airbending to blow extra hard into the bison whistle, and Appa catches them, which is great, because Appa is the bomb. Um, that's essentially it. I mean, really, the the major point of this is to, this episode is, it's a little bit more lighthearted than the previous two, uh, and it gets us kind of that, the setup for the fact that Katara is getting, she's becoming competent in waterbending, and she's driven, and we see her do the fake seating of um, control to uh, to Aang, or the kind of the fake adulthood where someone's like, oh, okay, yeah, sure, that's no big deal. And she goes off and studies, you know, the scroll on her, even though she's already said that she's not, she's going to stop kind of taking things too seriously or being proud about it. Um, she doesn't, and then it bites her, and then so she finally does, you know, becomes a real adult, and decides to actually, you know, give over control of things um, as necessary. Some, and it's, it's just a good little <laughs> growing experience for her. Yeah. So. Yeah, I really don't have much more to say about this episode yeah. other than Ninja Pirates. Yeah. Ninja Pirates or Pirate Ninjas, your pick. Now the debate is Pirate <laughs> Ninjas versus Ninja Pirates. Right? Uh, I, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, anyways, though, but as you said, this carries us, uh, Katara is kind of a central, her growth is central to both this episode and the next one. Um, so chapter 10, Jet, is, uh, where we meet oh, Peter Pan, Jet. uh, or Jet. <laughs> um, it is Katara's second crush in the show already, um, because, uh, there is a, shoot, what's his name? The Earthbender in, um... Haru? Yeah. Haru in the in the first half uh and now we see Jet. And you know, for all, all intents and purposes, um he is pretty impressive. Um he's much like he's got his 
Especially know, for not being a bender. Yeah, exactly. Like, he and no one in his crew are benders, and they're fighting the Fire Nation. They're putting forth a lot of really skilled, uh, putting up a skilled fight against the Fire Nation, um, kind of hitting them where it hurts. Uh, the episode, this episode does a lot of good in, uh, especially just driving home the point to kids where um, not everyone on the so-called bad side is a bad guy. Um, yes. And, on and the not everyone side, on the good side is a good guy. Exactly. So not so in this, we find that not everyone who is anti-Fire Nation is a good guy. And and it really comes to the, the point where we, we, we immediately, you know, you're supposed to like Jet initially, um, but then you find that he's kind of sneaky and he's willing to do, he, he very much sees that the ends justify the means um, and, you know, any cost is worth it to to cut down the Fire Nation. And that includes sacrificing innocent people um whether they're a fire nation village or not um or who are in the fire nation and it's the conflict here is um we see that Sokka is the one who distrusts um distrust jet yeah yeah and i uh, what's interesting about that is this episode could easily have gone the way of jealous ang distrusts jet right because right. it's very apparent that katara likes jet and we know ang likes katara right but it's interesting that in this entire episode ang is almost oblivious to that fact um or at least he's so enamored with jet as well right uh, that it doesn't even cross his mind both katara and ang are taken in by this extremely charismatic young man who is fighting the fire nation on his own terms and it's Sokka who uh doesn't trust him but Katara and Aang both kind of dismiss that that on the aspect of well in many ways Jet and Sokka are the same person right right they're not benders they're warriors and so of course Sokka would be kind of jealous right they assume that it's jealousy and the interesting thing is that at first Sokka's actually impressed. Like, he doesn't yes. start jealous, right? And so so no. we can see that, no, he has, he has real reason to k- kind of to be concerned. You know, he's seeing little things that don't seem to add up. Um, and, yeah, and, and then, of course, there's the scene where Jet and his crew kind of, uh, they, they, uh, they pounce on the random villager. Um, yeah, and, old man. Yeah, a random old man who, yeah, he's Fire Nation. But, um... And we can see that there's that disagreement between Sokka and Jet, and that's, of course, what puts us on Sokka's side for for good. Like, we know he's right. And we see Jet lie in order to... Because he knows Katara and Aang... I guess that's the big thing, is he knows what he's doing is wrong because he knows that he needs to lie in order to keep them on his side. Um, and that's... Uh, I mean, that goes a long way in this. Um, the, also, the, the great thing is that they realize that Sokka is right, but again, it shows Sokka's competence where once he realizes he's not going to be able to convince them, he finds another way to fix the problem um, or to deal with the situation. And, um, and in the end, we see that, not, that he left and he, he went to the village instead of being able to stop the, the dam explosion, which is how, the, how Jet and his crew were going to destroy the village below. Um, he actually goes to the village, and because he was nice and got them to spare the random Fire Nation dude, you know, they they listened to him. They believed and him. They believed him and got people out. And that's, again, it it teaches... It, it does teach the lesson for for the audience, especially a younger audience, along with Katara and Aang, that you need to 
just because someone is on the same side does not mean that they're necessarily good and you have to kind of pay attention to the to how people do things not everything is worth it um right uh but yeah again it does show as as you said it focuses on katara some because she's enamored by jet and is blinded by it and normally she's the person who is like hey this is not the responsible thing to do this is not the approach to take and she's just kind of overcome by things um and uh and it's kind of nice to to see that happen um so i this actually it's uh it kind of goes into the way that this episode is themed in terms of making sure that you actually look at the people rather than the side that they're ostensibly on um helps kind of go right into the main theme for the next for the next chapter the great divide um yes is related to it so uh and yeah this is also an episode where right after seeing Sokka be the adult who does the responsible thing, uh, we see him go back into kid mode, right? Yep. Fighting with his sister. And Aang has to be the responsible adult. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Because <laughs> uh, this episode pretty much opens with Katara and Sokka just going after each other, you know, in that sibling way of pressing each other's buttons. Uh, and then they meet these people who... Uh, don't like each other. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's a good way of putting it. You have the refined group who uh, think they're better, and uh, you have the uh, uh, more. Oh my goodness! Everyone's barking. <laughs> you. You have the, uh, the. Ricky, really? Uh, yes, you have the other group who seem more uncouth and down to earth, and. Uh, they they just don't like each other and they 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 argue it goes back to some ancient uh struggle between these two peoples where they're the founders of both their towns had a fight of some sort and over the course of the episode of course we get the story of what each side thinks happened right um, um and of course it's it's funny because by the time that they're telling the stories ang and or not ang Sokka and katara have already we you could tell what side each of them would pick um katara is always you know she's enamored by elegance and things like that and and Sokka is all you know manly man who cares about all this finery and whatnot um and so it's funny to see that you know the sides they pick and then they're already on the side when they're told the story and of course sympathize with the person who tells them the story and uh don't really understand that there are two sides to it um and of course ang who's the avatar is supposed to be bridging nations is like, this is all ridiculous. Um, and that's nice. Uh, it, it is one of the times where, one of the first few times where we see Aang really trying to take that role, where he is supposed to kind of bridge people together. Um, and Yeah, and, it, and, it, and it's nice seeing him do that. And you see the capacity of this could be a kid who grows up to be a peacemaker, right? Right. Um, it, it helps that he comes from the airbenders who are more peace-loving and... Uh, spiritual than a lot of the other bender groups so he has that innate desire to uh to make peace but it's just funny how easily how how frustrated he gets with their arguments uh and the method he goes to solve the problem (laughs) where he uh well of course initially he essentially forces cooperation um yes and then that kind of falls through because everyone distrusts everyone else um but uh, but yeah, in the end, the moral of the story is lying is okay. <laughs> um, uh, I, I, I'm pretty sure that was the moral. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Aang, uh, so you know, as we know, and as 
any listeners might need reminding, Aang essentially makes up a story about how the uh, the stories that each of these sides has been telling over the years of one side betraying the other or vice versa, um, they're actually the stories of two brothers who were infants and playing with a game that they made up in, you know, childhood. And it's kind of ridiculous. And it's really hilarious that any of them believes Believe him it? at all. Uh, but he's like, I'm a hundred something years old. <laughs> so <laughs> of course I knew them. And of course they were just kids. <laughs> right. And it's so funny, of course, because Sokka and Katara buy it. Right? Mm -hmm. They're like, how funny that you should know them. And what like, a coincidence. <laughs> and he's like, yeah. Right. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, oh. Good times. Uh, that is... It, it's really... So these three episodes, while um, I would say Jet was probably the most intense of these three episodes, um, and there's, there's definitely some s sincere stuff in these, but going from those to to, you know, chapter 12, the storm is kind of a, it's bringing us back. It's like, we've had some time. Well, for I felt like nine, 10, 11 were a break yes. from all the winter solstice intensity. And then the show was like, Whoa, let's back off for a moment. This is a kid show. <laughs> it, it, exactly. It's like, Hey, we need to, we need to calm things down a bit. We need to not, you know, hurt these, the minds of our audience, um, give them a break, give them some, some respite from the emotional turmoil we're putting them through, and um, and then by chapter twelve they're like, "All right, that's that's enough break. Let's go. Let's go. That's, a, that's enough break. Let's <laughs> go with chapter twelve and thirteen, where we're just going to be like full on, you know." Yep. So chapter questions. twelve, the storm, also known as the flashback episode, the flashback episode, the amazing <laughs> flashback episode is so good. Um, <laughs> it it really is. Okay, so do we want to do this, or we talk about one side first? Uh, yeah, sure. Zuko or Aang? Who do you want to talk about first, Michael? Let's do Aang first. <laughs> Let's go with Aang Okay, first. I agree. Let's talk with Aang first. So, Aang. <laughs> this is, in this episode, you know, they start out, right, uh, they're trying to get some food. Uh, Aang, Sokka, Sokka. Why do I always say Sokka? Sokka and Katara. And uh, they don't have any money. So they see this old couple arguing about a storm coming. The old man's like, there's no storm. We need food, woman. And she's like, there's a storm. You're all going to die. Um, so Sokka volunteers to help this old man and, so that they'll get paid and hopefully get some food. Um, and, but lo and behold, the storm does come. But before that happens, uh, the old man, when he discovers Aang is the Avatar, instead of immediately falling over and being like, oh, the Avatar, like every other character has done, he basically calls him out. He's like, the Avatar disappeared for 100 years. You turned your back on the world. And when Katara tries to defend Aang, he's like, so I guess I imagine the last 100 years of war and suffering. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's intense. He calls him out. He's like, you abandoned us. And of course... What does Aang do when he the, he has his confrontation? He runs away. He runs away because he's a 12-year-old kid. <laughs> yes. And, and there's some truth to the man's words, and he knows it. Uh, and so, we, of course, Katara... Well, and the thing is, we already... We knew there was some truth to it. The man had no idea, really, how much truth. Like, he's just talking from his right. own perspective. We knew there was some, but we didn't realize how much. Right, right. I mean, for all the man knows, something actually happened to Aang that kept him hidden. You know, like, that was out of his control. Right. Uh, so, but 
it is the truth, uh, as we will learn more of in this episode. And uh, so Sokka goes with the old man, and uh, Katara goes after Aang. And sitting around a campfire, Aang starts to tell his story of how he ended up disappearing for 100 years. And we find out that essentially he disappeared for 100 years because he ran away from his responsibility. So it was quite literally like the last thing he remembered doing before waking up a hundred years later was running away. And that, so that it's no wonder that that really, that accusation hits him hard because sure he didn't mean to run away from all responsibilities for good, but it was because he ran away from his responsibilities short term that he did. And, and I believe, wasn't it, um, they said that they weren't supposed, so we find that the monks were not supposed to tell him. Right, they weren't supposed to tell him until he was 16. Um, but their their rationale is storm clouds are gathering, uh, which I assume means uh, the Fire Nation. Because, uh, right. you know, we'll later learn more in Avatar Roku's flashbacks, but this Fire Nation stuff goes back to Avatar Roku. Right. Um, so I imagine the time when Aang was a kid might as well have been a time without an Avatar. Um, so essentially, this nation hasn't ha- the, the world hasn't had an Avatar in twelve years, and Sozin's just kind of doing his own thing. At least this is what I'm extrapolating has ha- is happening. Uh, it and the air nomads, right? And, and the air nomads are freaking out about it, as they have every right to do, because as we learned, as we learned, you know, shortly after Aang's disappearance, they get attacked. Right. So. They're freaking out. They don't know the best way to go about this. And Aang just wants to be a kid. I mean, as has been the theme of the past 12 episodes, right? right? Aang just wants to be a kid. Uh, you know, he invented because this air 12. scooter thing. He's him and 12. all of his he's friends are playing eight, yeah. on it. And then when his friends learn he's the Avatar, they don't want to play with him anymore. Right, because they're intimidated by it. And when it comes down to it, he is 12 years old. There's a reason they normally wait until they're 16 to tell them that they're the Avatar. And you know it, yeah it's an interesting sort of thing and, and it really gives us an insight into just how intense this whole situation must be for him uh, yes and yeah. it's just even what's even worse you know is not only does he have to deal with the fact that he's the avatar and everyone wants something from him or won't let him be a kid anymore you know all now all the monks want to train him non-stop 24 7 and his monk uh father essentially you know uh is like as long as I am in charge of you, you know, you will still have time to play games and be a kid and all of that. Right. And then the other monks start conniving to take Aang out from under his control. So now Aang is losing the only family he has. Right. Because he's the Avatar. So why would he even want to be the Avatar at this point? The Avatar is just associated with all of these terrible things. Mm-hmm. That things getting taken away from him. And it, so it's no wonder that he ran away and no wonder that he... In the first, you know, several episodes of the show, he's not dealing with his responsibility of being the Avatar. Right, absolutely. Um, and I think before we talk about kind of some of the resolution of this, we we might want to switch tracks to Zuko, and then we can kind of talk Zuko. about how, how each of them sort of resolve a little bit towards the end. Um, yes. So Zuko's background, um, we find out how he got his scar. Um, and this is through, yes. uh, I, this is through, of course, Zuko, uh, Zuko is kind of, he's, he's a brat. We know this. He, yep. <laughs> uh, he takes it out on his crew and his crew kind of badmouths him. And of course, uh, and Iroh is around and of course the crew loves Iroh because Iroh is wonderful. And, you know, Iroh sits down and tells them Zuko's story, uh, which really kind of hits a nerve because 
we're all aggravated with Zuko, and clearly the people, his crew, are aggravated with him, and Iroh, it's essentially getting both the sympathy of his crew as the proxy for the audience, uh, which is, again, you know, yeah, you could just tell us the story and make us feel things, which they do plenty over the course of the series, but in this, it's just done in a really neat way to... It's neat to see other people feeling what the story is effectively doing to us, and we feel the same. What what I think is so interesting, though, about the crew dynamic, though, is this whole thing comes to head because Zuko essentially says, I don't care about the safety of the crew. We have to go forward. Right. Right. Uh, essentially saying, I don't care if you all die. Uh, but then what we learn in the flashback is that Zuko is essentially exiled because he stood up for the common soldier right. in the Fire Nation army. So it's like he stood up for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's exactly and, it. Yeah. He, he stood up for them against the Fire Lord himself, you know, and yes. that's a big deal. Um, and it's, of course, gives you an insight um, where it, it's one of the continual setups over the course of the series showing that the Fire Lord is just flat out evil. Like he is not yes. a he's not one of the, the enemies who has who should ha- garner any sympathy. He's he is the embodiment of evil in this series and is one of those just one of those scenes where we might not know why, but we, we see that Zuko is challenged to an Agni Kai, which and we've seen an Agni Kai before, but he's challenged to an Agni Kai by his own father, who is the Fire Lord. Um, but he thought he was going up against the general he spoke out against. Right. And uh, that wasn't the case. And when he discovered it was his father, he was like, no, I will not fight you. Right. Um, and essentially, Zuko was in a lose-lose situation, right? Like, right. if he, he doesn't fight his father. So his father accuses him of being weak and useless and stupid. But if he had fought his father, his father could equally have accused him of being disrespectful and an upstart and mutinous. So Which is exactly there's no the, way he could win. And that's the thing is, we know that this is exactly the situation. The, the Fire Lord is... I mean, he he is evil and he's mean and he's conniving and we know that's the point is this was a setup to get rid of him right I mean that that yes. was the because he could have totally just had the general fight uh, fight Zuko and this general probably would have won because Zuko was was fourteen, 14. at the time mm-hmm. so so it's not like as a fourteen year old he probably would have been very threatening to the general he could have just done that it's like you insulted this general you fight him but he's like no he puts on this show of no. You insulted my general, and therefore you insulted the Fire Nation and me, so I'm the one that you fight. And it's like, that's, it's really not logical at all. He's just, he's, no, make, and it's, he's trying to make it a point. And um, it's so startling, uh, because up until the, you know, up until we met Commander Zhao. Yeah. We were like, Zuko is the Fire Nation. Uh, then we meet Commander Zhao, and we're like, okay, so there's one guy in the Fire Nation who doesn't like him. Uh, but as this episode progresses, it becomes very clear that Zuko is unusual <laughs> in some way, right? Because he, none of the other generals stand up for him. And, you know, not only do you have General Zhao wishing he would fail, at 14, what kind of, you know, commander is looking to make a 14-year-old fail, you know? But you have this girl who we don't know who she is at this right. point, who is obviously looking on this fight with glee. So... 
wherever, whatever the Fire Nation is like, it has not been easy for Zuko. And mm-hmm. I think that's very apparent in this. Uh, and also, backing up a little bit, um, when Z- Zuko initially couldn't even get into this meeting where he got in trouble, uh, but it was uncle, his uncle, Iroh, who let him in. Right. Uh, so I think that's part of the reason why Iroh is with him on this exile is because Iroh blames himself. He should have never let Zuko in that meeting to begin with. Although, let's be honest, he probably would have gone with him anyways. He probably, so it's almost like a, which we don't know that yet, but we understand, we find out later on that there are reasons he doesn't really fit in in the Fire Nation either. And so he's honestly probably much happier this way. (laughs) Um, That's true. But I, I think part of it is guilt and he does, you know. He does want to protect Zuko because he lost his own right. son, um, which I'm not sure if we learned that yet or not. <laughs> I don't believe we have yet, but we will. Uh, so, yeah, this whole story is just it, it's heartbreaking. I mean, Zuko just wants to be a good son and ev- all the cards are stacked against him. Um, I mean, and his father exiles him and is like, you will learn respect and suffering will be your teacher. Uh he wants him to suffer. So that's why he sends them on this wild goose chase. He's that they never thought he would actually be able to. No one thought he was going to find the avatar because the avatar has been missing for over a hundred years and there's no, so it it was absolutely a wild goose chase. Like it's essentially coincidence that the avatar, oh, coincidence and writers writing a show that the, that the avatar came, uh, you know, out of the iceberg he was stuck in while zuko was on his mission and and not even right away like two years later you know yes yeah it's been two years uh and then what i also thought was interesting was when the soldiers being told the story they're surprised to discover where zuko got his scar from and they all saw that the 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 leader of the crew is like well i thought he got it from a training accident uh so it's interesting that the fire lord has not advertised right that he injured his own son in this way. I mean, clearly it wasn't a secret because it was on Agni Kai in front of like, like the fire nation court, you know, (laughs) but it's not something people are exactly talking about because I guess that would put the fire Lord in a bad light and people aren't going to spread that around. Not at least in a obvious manner. So it's definitely interesting that the average person doesn't know. And of course the interesting thing too is up until now, like we've heard so much language from the fire nation about their attitudes towards Zuko, that he's a traitor, that he's, you know, yeah, that he's a traitor, he's unloyal, and so on. It's like, wait, this is what makes him a traitor? This is yes. ridiculous. Like, because he's loyal to the regular people in his country, and that he Because a 14-year-old to- said something in a meeting. Because he said something that was decent to, in yes. a meeting, you know? <laughs> uh, and and, and not- as Iroh said, it's not that other people didn't agree with him. It was that, you know, it was just the way Zuko said it. So instead of teaching him, uh, you know, you don't talk that way in this environment or, you know, letting him, you know, as you said, fight the general, at least to learn, you know, there are uh, consequences to to your actions, you know. Right. No, instead, the Fire Lord's just going to completely pwn him. Like, (laughs) uh, it breaks my heart. It does. Um, So that... That storyline wraps up essentially with the crew kind of getting some renewed vigor in their, you know, their loyalties to Zuko, or maybe even for the first time caring to be loyal to Zuko, um, which is, which is neat. I mean, because, and it makes us, it's the first time where we really start to feel any sort of sympathy towards him. 
Um, and that's not just a little bit of sympathy. You're like, oh man, that, that sucks. Like no wonder, (laughs) no wonder he acts the way he does. Uh, and then I, I love how the two stories being told wrap themselves up in the same way. Yes. Uh, Katara's story with Aang and Zuko's story being told, you know, because Aang gets to the end of his story and Katara's not having any of this feeling sorry for yourself crap. No. (laughs) She's like, you need to get over this. You're here now. Uh, and that's important. And you probably wouldn't be here now if you hadn't run away then. There's, there's that too. Like you would probably have died along with the rest of them. (laughs) I mean, right. Yes. So, yeah. Cause, cause he says my people needed me and I wasn't there to help. The world needed me and I wasn't there to help. And Katara says the world needs you now. You give people hope. Right. And then how does Zuko's story end? It ends with Iroh saying the avatar gives Zuko hope. Yeah. Um, of course, there's also, as a side note, super, super cool scene where it's the very, very first time we see lightning bending. Yes. Oh, I had that in here. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, it just shows us how freaking awesome Iroh is because he does all this like solemn explanation and teaching us who Zuko, you know, who Zuko is and getting uh, getting people to sympathize with him. And it's just the, kind of the 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 nice person side of him. And then we see that he's freaking amazing, too. Because he just yes. goes and he, we see lightning come down from the sky and he kind of catches it in one side and shoots it out the other, protecting the ship. And you're like, yep, yeah, that's, that's Iroh for you. Dude's just amazing yes. in every way. <laughs> and then um, right after that, uh, Zuko saves several of his crew members. It's true. Uh, and then he sees the Avatar, because uh, uh, Aang went to save uh, Sokka and the old man yes. uh, who were caught in the storm. Uh, because they should have so, listened to the old lady who said the storm was coming. Yes. <laughs> uh, so they come out of the water um, and Zuko sees them. And the crew's like, what do you want us to do? And at this point, they're willing to go back into the storm to chase down the Avatar form. Right. Uh, and Zuko's like, no, we need to get these people to safety, which shows that despite everything, Zuko still cares for his people more than he cares about himself. Right. And I just watching this, the... This time, I was just like, uh, wow, you know, Zuko has the potential here. This, this is the episode that shows us he really has the potential to be a great Fire Lord one day. Well, it's the thing that shows us that he, at his core, is a decent person, as he was two years prior, and that this harshness is a front. It's, like, it's him attempting to be harsh, because that's what he sees that he needs to be. Um, yes. And so he's trying. Like, it takes him effort to act that way. Um, and... At his core, though, when it comes down to it, you know, he might say, I don't care about the, the well-being of my crew and whatnot. But when it comes down to it and he actually has he to make a decision, that. he will make the decision for their lives. And that's, you know, it, it's something. And, it, and this, of course, just takes us into one of my very favorite episodes of the entire show. How about you? You like this next the one? The Blue Spirit? Yeah. Oh. Uh, I, I do like I it love, I lot. love this episode. <laughs> <sighs> chapter or whatever episode yeah blue spirit pretty amazing um so first off we didn't uh, we find out that so zhao becomes an admiral yes what i thought was interesting though uh when this episode started before that happens he's trying to get these archers for his search for the avatar right. and what's interesting is that the other officer who's in charge of the archers treats zhao just like zhao treated zuko right like 
this is how things Searching are done. Searching for the, the Avatar planet. is stupid. Right. <laughs> it's like even though now they all know the Avatar exists, it's still considered of a lesser importance. And I think a lot of that has to do with the just the fact the Avatar's been gone for a hundred years and these people don't understand the true threat that the Avatar is. Right. Um but yeah, then he gets a, a timely promotion. <laughs> yeah, he gets a promotion and immediately is the superior of the guy who just said no and moves things around. And uh, and so he gets these, what is the thing that they say about these archers that they could pin the wings of a butterfly to a tree from how far away? Like a hundred paces or something. Yeah. Some, it's completely ridiculous and not possibly true. Not not even possibly <laughs> true because of the physics of arrows. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> at least wooden arrows. I suppose. And those those didn't really look like longbows either. No, no. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, but it's, so he gets those people and he starts to, um, gets them to start hunting the, uh, the avatar. Um, we see, this is the first episode. We actually see things through Momo's eyes. Do you remember that? Yes. It was pretty freaking weird. Cause Momo's weird. Um, that is just a tidbit. I don't think it really has any real impact on the on the episode as a whole. It's just one of the interesting things that they try and do in this show a lot. They try and kind of mess with perspective and neat ways, and that was just yet another. Yeah, fun I, I really enjoyed the whole Momo uh, getting things and not bringing bringing back everything except water. Yeah. <laughs> but why do we have Momo being important in this episode? Because Katara and Sokka are both sick. We don't know why. They just are. So, um, in this though, we see, uh, what, what is it? The hunt for Aang picks up, um, so Zhao's resources pick up, we get the, the arrow dudes actually capture him. Yes. Uh, so I had a few co- feelings about that. I was like, I'm simultaneously surprised that Aang did get captured and, both and surprised that it took so long for him to get captured in the course of the show. <laughs> right. Um, I guess did the, him getting captured came after he knew what he needed to find to, to help his friends, right? Yes. Okay. So by this time we had found that there's a, his friends are sick. He finds some random lady. I still don't remember much about her, but he finds that. Crazy. Yeah. She's just crazy old lady. And uh, he needs frozen frogs for his sick friends to suck on in order to become unsick. And my it, my favorite yeah. part before that, though, is when Aang is going to see the old woman, and he's, like, running on air, right, to get yeah. there. And there are just these random Fire Lord soldiers who are talking about these powers the Avatar must have. And the one says, it's just Fire Lord propaganda. There's no way that's true. And then Aang just, like, completely runs past them, and they're, like, jaw drops. <laughs> <laughs> I really enjoy that. It's true. Um but then, of course, there's the ridiculousness yes, the of the crazy old lady. Out. He needs he they need to suck on frogs. They need to suck on frogs, <laughs> and they have to suck on the frogs while they're frozen, because if they're <laughs> yes, because that makes so much sense. Um, and how do the frogs get frozen anyway? I, I, I don't know. Still be like, alive. So many questions. I, I'm really wondering about the evolutionary advantage of having frogs that regularly get frozen. I'm not really sure why they would develop that way. But also, why are frogs one of the few animals that's not like a frog anything else? Yeah, I don't know. It's frogs. Yeah. Anyways, but um, so we get um, uh, what is it? Zhao explains Aang's um, 
I guess he, he explained he ex- explains that he uh, his status like that he death death isn't enough because he would be reborn as a waterbender and he'd need to be found again. So yes, so like, I have mixed feelings about that. I feel like if I was Commander Zhao or the Fire Nation, I would just kill Aang. Yes, I understand he's going to be reborn, but that would get rid of the air air nomads forever. But at the same time, they probably feel like they're going to win the war. They're going to be done with the air nomads anyways. So the main issue is like, you know, the the war hasn't ended in a hundred years and that includes destroying the water nation. And that's been without the avatar period. Right. So, so it's probably better to not give like in the off chance that the war continues to not give one of the nations that's intact the chance to raise an avatar, you know? Still, but, just seems very James Bond villain giving him a chance to escape. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but but it does actually say something though from our perspective. Like we know, Aang has even more to fear than dying because he's going to be tortured and kept prisoner if he, you know, if under the correct circumstances as far as the Fire Nation is concerned. Uh, and that's yes. not not good. Um, so it's around this time when Aang is captured that we find this. Um, this figure, this kind of shadowy figure with a, a blue mask that looks freaking cool, by the way. Um, yes, it does. Sne- sneaking around really quickly, stealthily, and calmly taking out guards. Um, and he's got two blades, so he's got two uh, two swords in his hands that are freaking cool looking. And um, <laughs> and he uses a, uh, a water bucket as well, which is fun. So the first time I watched this, there was no suspense for me on who this blue masked man was. I felt it was obvious, but that's just me. <laughs> but it was still, so it's, it's still very neat the way that they, you know, having not given it away, although everyone who's listening to this should already know, um, it's very neat the way that he, he moves around stealthily in ways that we're not used to seeing really anyone so far move around. Right. Um, clearly there's no bending involved. He's just moving around. Um, and, yeah, and right. I, I wrote down he's quite the ninja. <laughs> he is. I mean, he's a ninja. He is. He's the first like real ninja that we've seen. Pirate ninjas aside, um, he's he's a real, honest to goodness ninja. You know, um, and he releases Aang, and so the whole time they're cooperating. Um, well, once he goes through, and Aang doesn't know who this person is, and there he's and the person doesn't speak at all. Right, it's completely silent, and so he's just like, "Hey, come with me," and they start to escape, and so the two of them are cooperating until. Jang catches them and says that the avatar has to remain alive. And so immediately kind of the impression that you're given changes because knives are held to Aang's throat immediately right away. Yeah. Um, I did. I wrote, there was no hesitance. No. It was like, yeah, he must remain alive. Oh, must be alive. Then he's going to be dead. <laughs> um, which really brings things to, I, I love this one scene in this, in this episode where he's in that situation and so a sniper archer shoots the blue masked guy in the head and he's down. Like he's essentially knocked out and is at the point where they could easily just escape or Ang could escape, but he can see who, who has the mask on and he, and he looks and I love what well, before, before he takes the mask off though, you see that sliver of skin Yeah, and it's, it's obvious and Ang knows then. 
uh, but then he takes the mask off, I feel like, to make sure. Right. Uh, and and so, of course, we discover yeah. it is Zuko. It is. And it's that thing where he thinks about leaving him for a minute. Yeah, you see it on his face. You see he it. totally thinks about leaving. <laughs> and he's like, no, no, I can't do it. So he kind of, it's sort of like, you know, you saved me, I gotta save you. And so he he, he gets him out. Um, and I, it's just, it's a great, because it shows that really when it comes down to it, Zuko doesn't care about capturing the Avatar. He capture, He cares about the whole... Um, he doesn't care about it in terms of winning the war. He cares about it in terms of right. restoring his honor. It's personal. Because, yeah, it's a very much a personal thing because of the warped sense of what honor is when we learn in the previous episode that he, frankly, has more honor than the, the Fire Nation itself has. Um, he actually, he states it earlier in uh, the episode. The line he says is, uh, my honor, my throne, my country. I'm about to lose them all. Right. Uh and in a way, that's the list of most importance for him. His right. honor is the most important thing. And getting back the love of his father. Right. Uh, and then I love, I love the scene where Zuko wakes up. Yes. Um, and they're in the woods. And it's him and Aang. And Aang says, uh, he, he tells a story about how he had a friend who was a firebender when he was a kid. And he was like, if we knew each other back then, do you think we could have been friends too? And Zuko tries to blow him up. Because he's Zuko. Uh, but then after Aang runs away, there's kind of like this look on Zuko's face, like, like we could have, you know? Like, you yeah. can almost see it in his face. And then when Zuko goes back to his, to his uh, well, first Aang goes back to uh, Sokka and Katara, and Katara asks him, Aang, how was your trip? Did you make any new friends? And Aang is like, no, I don't think I did. But then it cuts to Zuko in his ship, and he's just so unhappy and he's just like, don't even talk to me. And he goes back to his bed and he, it's like, he looks at the fire nation flag and then he turns his back on it and he's just so unhappy. And you're like, ah, oh, because it's be exactly, good. it's exactly what Aang said, right? It, you know, he yeah. looks at it and he said, and he's essentially seeing that it is the fault of my country that we can't be friends. Right. Yes. Like it is because he, he knows that what Aang said is true. You know, if we were, yes. if, if we were both around back then, we probably would be friends, and that would be that. And you know, the the parts when they were working together in this episode, even though there was no like Zuko didn't say a single thing, and they worked together so perfectly because they're like, just so skilled. Clearly, like you know, they're so skilled and they're just so clever and competent, and yeah, and they and it was just a flawless like no need for communication. They just knew what to do. Um, it was flawless and it was perfect. And you're like, these two people together would be. They would change the world, you know? Um, so. <laughs> oh, that just makes me think of so many good things. <laughs> yes, it does. It does. Um, so, uh, so, yeah, this is a good episode. It's a good episode. Um, now we go to the next episode. Uh, the Fortune Teller. The Fortune Teller, which has one of my favorite quotes in the entire. Uh, we'll get to that. <laughs> and I, you, I hope you know which one I'm talking about. Um, I, I don't, but I'm look- I may once you say it. You will. But you I'm will. looking forward to so, it. Uh, so in this episode, essentially what happens is um, the, you know, our team, Aang, Katara, Sokka, and the Aminals. Um, the Aminals. Uh, they, <laughs> they go to a, it's an Earth Nation village. Um, and they find, and 
Aang, of course, is getting friend-zoned by Katara, because we know that he is in love with Katara, and she just does not see him that way. Um, and there is this fortune teller in this town who everyone in the town listens to. Um, and it's kind of hilarious, because the scenario is essentially, hey, look, you know, I'm a fortune teller. The world is going, or we're not going to die today. And everybody's like, well, we haven't died yet, so she's always right. And, that, you know, it's that kind of <laughs> sort of ridiculousness of story t- of fortune telling. Um, Sokka, of course, is always a skeptic, and um, they have this occasion where she periodically has to tell them whether the volcano is going to die, and they used to actually send someone up to the volcano to check. And they don't anymore, because this fortune teller has taken over the the reason of the village. Um, and so- Sokka is, you know, being the skeptic, he's like, wait, this doesn't make any sense, and he's clearly just like, guys... Every single time she says he's something, he's very disturbed by this entire thing, <laughs> right? And, and rightfully so, because he's completely right. And every single time, every time she makes a prediction, you're like, he's like, but yeah, but you, of course, you're going to meet the person that you. What is there? There's somebody who you're going to meet the person that you love while wearing like certain pants or something like that. And it's like, well, if in response to her thing, you wear it every single day, of course you're going to, or you're going to die without it ever happening, like. If you never wear anything else, you know, it's that kind of self-fulfilling prophecies. And he's just completely disturbed by the fact that these people just have no logic whatsoever. Um, and one of the very best lines ever, when Sokka's trying to explain that the fortune teller doesn't have all the answers and that you need to use science and the person and somebody goes, can your science explain why it rains? Yes. Yes, it can. Can your science explain why it rains? <laughs> and he just responds, yes! <laughs> and it's just the best That's, thing, because, of course... I do love yeah, that line. It's I, so good. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, anytime I watch this episode, I just I, I wait in anticipation for that line, because it's just so great. Because, yes, of course you, the science can explain why it rains. Um, yeah. Um, there, there's lots of little stuff that happens here. There's someone who develops a crush on Aang. Um... And uh, and Katara gets a um, a fortune saying that she will fall in love with a powerful bender, right? Um, yes. And so she's of course enamored by this. Um, then uh, we get so to this yeah. is you know I I know we didn't watch this show live, me and you, at least right. not this season. Uh, I but I, w- it's, I was it's actually live like- at this point. I I got live about right around winter winter solstice back when the show was starting so oh so you were watching live at this point yes i was oh well i i know apparently there were epic you know online battles between the the zuko katara uh shippers and the zuko and the ang katara shippers and it's that it's that kind of prophecy that makes that possible <laughs> it's true it <laughs> you know that you will marry a uh, amazing bender it's like okay ang is clearly an amazing bender so is Zuko. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, um, but so Zuko. there's some neat stuff in this. Um, in the village, we see a pair of <laughs> twins where one is an earthbender and one isn't a bender at all. And that's one of the first indications that we see such a thing can happen. Right. Um, because before that, like, like we, we at least know that Katara and, um, and Sokka are not both benders, but now it's like, okay, even twins don't have to be, you know, they, uh, one can be a bender and one can. That's that's kind of interesting. So it's like, okay, well, that's just another sort of. There's no taking for granted whether somebody's going to be a bender or not. You know, um, 
So that was pretty neat. Uh, I and I just I thought that was worth noting because uh, it takes it, it kind of helps us as time goes on as they develop the world more and more for us. Um, then of course the the resolution for the episode is that the volcano because her prediction was that the village wouldn't be destroyed by uh, by the volcano and Katara uh, excuse me Sokka goes up to check and turns out that hey the volcano is active. This village is going to die if we don't do something. And so he tries to rig the fortune um, by changing the smoke, you know, coming up to figure out how things go and gets the lady to say, hey, you know, something's going to happen. People start to take cover. Um, and then the volcano explodes and Aang basically has to turn away a volcano um, and does it. And yep. that, of course, gets Katara to be like, or, no, Sokka turns to Katara and says, wow, man. Sometimes I forget what a powerful bender that kid is. Wait, what did you just say? Nothing, just that Aang is one powerful bender. I suppose he is. You know, comments on how amazing a bender Aang is, and Katara's like, oh, you're, you're right, he is. Um, what of course means that she's realizing that, hey, there might be something to that that fortune or kind of gives her the opening to realize how impressive he is, not just as like kid brother friend sort of thing. Um, which is neat because I, it made me, it, it made me go all warm and fuzzy inside. Um, yeah, that's, uh, essentially, I guess that's everything that significant that happens in this episode though. Um, so pretty much yeah. <laughs> chapter 15. It's another one of our more lighthearted episodes. It is. It is. It has that intent. The, the real point of it is just to give, to make it so that Katara is now paying attention to Aang, I think is really the yes. point that this, the episode serves. Um, and it's a nice episode where we see Aang, Katara, Aang working as, as a good guy, uh, you know, and with Sokka and Katara to, uh, to help a village, which helps us go right into the next episode, Beto right. of the Water Tribe, where Aang has an insecure moment. Yes, a little bit. Um, <laughs> so we meet Bato, Sokka and Katara's dad's friend. Second Sokka. cousins, twice removed. Yeah, some Brother's like sister. Um, <laughs> and it, it's really neat because, of course, Sokka is kind of distracted. He's, uh... Yes. Uh, it, he... I mean, he's just fat. He's like, this is the first time since the war has, since the adults left for the war um, of his village that he's met another one. And we find out that he basically has passed the age of a certain rite of passage and has not gotten to do it. Um, it's called, uh, what is it? The ice dodging. Um, and of course, we're kind of left to wonder what that is. And it's not like there's ice around where they are, but Bato takes him and the... And, uh, and and it's actually very interesting because we see kind of an insight where apparently ice dodging is this thing where you take someone to command a boat as you dodge back and forth between icebergs um, in order to and you have to kind of take charge of a crew to prove that you have command over a ship or that you understand a ship well. Um, and they don't have ice, but they find an area of like spiky rocks and do the same <laughs> then, which is sounds a lot more dangerous. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> But uh, but yeah, they they go through and do it. And of course, it's funny because it's one of those things where Sokka uh, does some 
probably makes some stupid calls because he knows he has the avatar on hand and gets them to do some crazy like floating over some spikes of rock thing that nobody else stupid could do. Stupid calls if you didn't have the avatar, but right. he's just using the resources he has at hand. Yes, I, and that's the point of what they try and do. Um, that, that is clearly what we're <laughs> trying to get across, and it's trying to get get the point that Sokka is competent, and he is because he has all these tools at hand that other people don't. He's clearly being put in a position to grow and be put in a group in a, in a position of leadership later on where he understands things that other people involved in the war don't. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and that's, I think that's a really good way of, of using him. Um, we, uh, we see the bounty hunter girl with the crazy tracking animal thing that I'm not sure we ever learn what they're called, but they're like, what are they cross of? Moles and something else. Are they moles or like anteaters? Because it's all smell, I, right? Moles are blind, right? Are they? Are these things blind? Yeah, aren't yeah, they? I, maybe they are. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. <laughs> um. So we see these. It's the first time we see these things, and they just they start hunting them down. Um, and we see that uh, Sokka is kind of always planning things. Um, I. Again, not really that much going on, really. Um, I guess I mean, the importance of this episode, right, is Aang's reaction to the letter. Right. Um, so you can describe that. So, uh, is it Bato? Beto? It's Bato. Bato. Okay. So you know, Bato is talking to you know. Uh, Katara and Sokka about how he's going to go meet up with their dad, you know, and uh, as soon as he's better, or at least hope to, and that a letter should be arriving to tell him where the, you know, the water tribe is so he can meet up with them. Um, which really seems like a bad plan, but yeah. sending letters saying where you are. Uh, <laughs> but that's besides the point. Um, and he's like, you guys could come with me. And, if, you know, Katara and Sokka are like, oh my gosh, that would be so awesome. And of course, that's the only part Aang stays to hear. And he's like, they're going to abandon me. And he leaves and he's like all sad and um, insecure. Uh, but of course, as soon as he leaves, Katara's like, that would be awesome, but we can't. Um, we, we have a responsibility to Aang and to, you know, the world. Um, and Sokka agrees. But of course, Aang doesn't hear that. Yeah. So Aang is out feeling sorry for himself um, by the beach when the messenger comes by and is like, I have a letter for Bato of the Water Tribe. And Aang's like, oh, I know him. Uh, so he takes the letter and he essentially hides it from everyone. Uh, yeah. Because he's afraid uh, Katara and Sokka are going to leave him. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, the interesting thing is their reaction to that and how they find out about it, um, which is effectively, or do they not find out about it yet? I don't remember. I, I'm actually a little bit annoyed at the fact that I'm not sure, and I don't have this in my, I think they do, they find out here. They've got to find out here, because I can't think of what other episode in this, oh man, this is terrible. I think they do find out in this episode. Right, yeah, 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 because cause Bato still splits from them. He's not with them later, right? There was just so much barking in my house that I can't even know what you said. All right, what, what did you say? I was saying that um, it, it would need to be here that, had, yeah, there's no other episode that they could find out. 
No, I, they they do find out in this episode. I just don't remember the events. Okay, so so what happens essentially is I, I remember the events. I just couldn't. I, I was having trouble remembering specifically if they happened here. But effectively, what happens is um, Ang kind of apologizes for not telling them, and in response, they uh, it, so he, he apologizes for not telling them because he like hides the letter initially, right? And then, uh, and then something happens where he's like, you know, I'm sorry, I should have told you earlier. Um, and they're like, wait, you didn't tell us? And so they kind of leave in anger. And then Bato's like, hey, I mean, let's be real. Your father would be proud of you. And what do you think you should be doing? And they go back. Um, so there's kind of that, that whole sort of, um, you know, because Bato is, of course, also disappointed in Aang's behavior. But it's like, come on, guys, you, you're clearly supposed to be helping the Avatar. Um, so, yeah. um, yeah, so that's a, a neat sort of thing there. Um, and then, but that, it kind of, it gives it, and the interesting thing is like, they find out because Aang tells them, like he confesses and that's how they find out. And they still storm off in anger because it was a dumb move, <laughs> but, uh, but it kind of, it brings things back around and they end up sticking with him. Um, anyways, so that takes us to 16. The deserter. The, the deserter. Um, which really, the main point is we we start off and we know Aang wants to see firebending. He wants to he wants <laughs> yes. to learn it and to have fun because hey, why not? So they go into this masked festival. I love it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, is it uh? What's the guy's name? John John Jong Jong John Jong Jang. I think it's something like John Jong, isn't it? John Jong, I think. Um, and he's a, we hear that he's a firebending master who's not with the Fire Nation. Um, right. And through, just through a bunch of things, Aang meets him and he can tell immediately that Aang hasn't mastered water or earth by how... Which he's fi- supposed to do first. Right, because there's a proper order to, to things. There's a proper elemental order that you're supposed to learn when you're the Avatar. Um, and he says that uh, he can tell Aang hasn't mastered water or earth by how he walked. Which is a fascinating sort of thing, but it's the, it's the kind of thing that you hear from, you know, the martial arts stories and whatnot. But then when you get to know this show better and better and you start to learn all the different elements and you see how... It makes complete it, sense. It, it makes complete sense. It's like, you are not walking like someone who knows earthbending. <laughs> right, because an airbender can essentially not even worry about their feet being on the ground. Right. Airbending is not about where your feet are. It's, it's, a, it's about yeah. your hands and, and the motions. And, and earthbending is a complete opposite of that. Earthbending, you have to be so aware of the ground and your stance, and he just doesn't have that. Right. Which, of course, though, at this time, we don't really know exactly what that means. We kind of take it on faith that this is, that, you know, okay, sure, he's some knowledgeable master, and that's interesting, but but th- there is clearly, as the show goes on, we know that that's, he's not just talking nonsense. You know, there is definitely something to that. Um, the interesting thing, of course, is that this is where we finally, we finally meet a firebending master who's not with the Fire Nation. And that's pretty awesome. Yes. Um, now, an interesting thing is when Zhang Zhang is refusing to teach Aang, Roku talks to him through Aang to force him to teach him. Because- Which is so interesting and weird and like not, not that roku talks through ang but that roku says 
teach him even though he hasn't done the proper order. Of things. Right. And part of that just shows the sheer desperation of the situation, right? Because yes. part of it shows, again, it takes us back to when They have he, a summer. Well, exactly. <laughs> and it takes us back to Avatar Roku, to chapter eight, where Roku is like, hey, yes, you don't have the time to do things. You don't have the luxury of time, but you still have me and all your previous lives. And this is Roku basically living up to that promise. He's like, hey, I promised that I would help you in any way that I can. And if it means forcing someone to teach you in what is we know is the wrong order, but because we're desperate, then I will do it. And and that's really interesting. It's to show that, you know, the previous mature avatars who lived an entire life also will make calls against what is is seen as accepted wisdom, you know, um, and what we find out really is like it's that wisdom for a reason. But effectively, Roku's like, hey, you know, to heck with it. You need to try. <laughs> um, and he's essentially like, would you refuse to re- refuse to help me? And and this is the thing that I was alluding to earlier, where um, waterbending comes completely naturally to Aang. And firebending kind of does, too. Like, he can immediately start forming fire when he wants to. The problem is he doesn't understand how serious firebending is. He doesn't have the temperament. He doesn't have the temperament, exactly. So it's not a matter of, like, a lack of skill or a... Yeah, it's not a lack of skill or a lack of talent with it. It's a lack of discipline. And that's a whole different thing that... And and that is something that um, the lack of discipline comes into play in a few more episodes, too. Um, but he burns Katara, and that's alarming. Um, because, you know, like, of everybody who is around on Earth, there's no one he loves as much as he loves Katara. And, you know, for him to hurt her, you know, he's essentially like, I'm never firebending again. How could I possibly do that? I'm not worth anything, you know? Um, so This is also the episode where we learn Katara has magical waterbending healing powers. It, it is. She heals herself, and she's she's really just trying to cool, like, put water over herself, and all of a sudden it starts healing. And she's like, I don't know what just happened. Um, and It's very Percy Jackson. It is. Uh, and <laughs> Katara heals herself and Zhang Zhang sees it and he's, and this is the fascinating thing that really, really, I love this part because we barely ever meet this guy in the entire show. And yet he just, he strikes you immediately. Cause he's like, you know, this is why I would rather be a waterbender than a, than fire because water is healing and fire is destruction. And, you know, and water is life and fire is death. And, and it's like, wow, that's a, uh, that's intense, you know? I mean, it makes you feel bad for firebenders. Like, everyone else can build stuff. Uh, you know, when we get to the north in a little bit, we'll see that their entire city is built out of ice. Right. And clearly earth. You I know, mean, that's uh, like, hey. And, of course, the Earth Kingdom stuff is all built out of earth. And the Water Tribe, yeah. And, and even though you can't, like, actually make things with the, the air... Um, it's just it's they're so peaceful as a people right uh and then we look at the fire nation and the destruction and havoc they've wrecked and the fact that fire has only brought horror to zuko's life it you're just like ah and what what are these people got going for them (laughs) and like jong jong is it's gonna be hilarious when we find out that that's not his name but um but he uh you know his entire life has been this war you know mm-hmm. um so he's seen this and he's not you know he's not on board with it and it's just like from his perspective fire nation is nothing but but destruction and and it's really neat to see that take because it's the first time where you know so much of what we see from fire nation people is 
strength is what matters. Fire is strength. Look, you know, we're using our fire to make these machines move and all these other stuff. And it's all just tilted towards war. And, and it is just really great to see this master who is a harsh man. Like he is, he's not, he's not soft at all. You know, he's, he's all harsh edges, but he, he has a deep, deep respect for, and, and kind of like a, and a, he lacks self, not lacks self-respect, but he wishes he could be different. And, and that's something it kind which, of gives. Yeah. Which is just so sad though, because as we go further in the series and, you know, go to Korra, uh, I, I do not think of the firebenders as a destructive force. No. And, and uh, that's of course, I, I is, think of them as a technological force. Right. Uh, they are the, they are electricity. They are technology to me. So it's like, that aspect doesn't have to be destructive. But, but the if fact your that society, technology has been used right. towards war only. If your society uh, is a warmongering society, that's where the technolo- technological bent is, and that means that yes. that is... And as someone who does not want to partake of that, that's all he can see. You know, yep. and, and it's, it, it's unfortunate. And of course he's trying to change it, clearly, in opposing the Fire Nation himself. Um, so, uh, anyways, though, this... we As I said, Aang swears to never firebend again, which we know can't fly, because it's you know, the avatar. Um, but it, but it, takes it, a long it's such time an, from never firebend again. And when it comes down to it, it's a child's response to something like that. You know, it's a, yeah. I made a bad move and I'm going to overreact. Um, but, uh, then we see that Zhao arrives and Aang wins without attacking, <laughs> which is just hysterical. Cause earlier we had heard Zhang Zhang telling a story about one of his former students who didn't understand how seriously fire should be taken. Right. And didn't understand. uh, He didn't understand what it could do, how you should respect the fire and be careful of it. And then we see Aang without throwing a punch, without doing any attacking whatsoever, just dodging, 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 dodging. And Jang destroys his entire fleet of boats without Aang do anything or Zhao destroys his entire um, fleet of boats. And then we find out that. He was the he was the student that Zhang Zhang was talking about, which because they face off and that's pretty impressive, you know. Um, it, it's just it's a pretty neat sort of thing to see, um, and it just shows that you know we've already seen that of course Zuko is actually a better bender than Zhao is, um, and potentially that's because of Iroh's influence, and we see that clearly. There's no question that you know Aang just he made a fool of Zhao and he has not managed to make a fool of Zuko at any point, you know, like he's managed to beat him, but making a fool is a whole different thing. And, um, and it's just kind of that thing where, you know, maybe there's something to this whole respecting fire thing. Um, uh, but yeah, so I guess that, that takes us to the next episode, the Northern air temple. Ba-ba-bum. Yes. Which opens with, uh, Aang, Katara, and Sokka listening to an older person uh, tell a story about when the sky was full of people flying and Aang was like, oh, it was so fun back then and Katara is like, you know, some or someone asks a question about it must have been great to see that way back in the day, you know, and the old person's like, what? Back in the day? What are you talking about? I saw this yesterday. Yeah, and you're like, wait, what? And so, of course, that makes Aang think, wait, are airbenders still around? Suddenly, Aang is so hopeful again, and you're just like, 
oh, and you want to be hopeful for him, but you know this can't possibly be true. Right. Uh, so, of course, they're like, well, we've got to go to the Northern Air Temple. And on their way there, they do, lo and behold, run into other people flying on gliders. But Aang can tell almost right away that they are not airbenders. And well, he, it, it is right sense. away. He says they're not flying, they're gliding. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah. It makes him a little unhappy. <laughs> and, that, and that does. And he still, he thinks it's pretty neat initially, but then he sees... He's essentially he takes offense at blasphemy of changes to the Northern Air Temple, right? Like he sees it as blasphemy. Yes. He's like, "How could you modify this temple? This is a sacred place. How could you change all these things?" Um, and uh, it's really interesting. So we see that it's essentially this group of people. Um, one of whom is this guy who's in a wheelchair, and he gets freedom when he's out and about on a glider. Um, and it's his his father who is an inventor who made that glider for him and you know other similar things and has made all these changes to the air temple because it's a neat place and uh i really really love the inventor because mm -hmm. there's so many quirks to his appearance and it's all explained um like you see uh his hair and eyebrows are burned and you find <laughs> that it's because of when he found natural gas earlier um which is super cool um, you see his, uh, he has wooden fingers and it's because he was making a knife sharper and a, a, a knife sharpener. He was cr kind of developing a knife sharpener and in making it, he got his fingers. Um, that's just kind of a neat sort of thing. Um, and we see I, that, and I, go ahead. I was to say, I, I think it's so interesting that out of all the kids, uh, it's Sokka who is attracted the most to the inventor. Um, and I think that says something about any world uh, where you have magic users and non-magic users. Uh, I, I think the magic users are like, ah, oh, technology, meh. You know, they're like, I've got this awesome thing. And, but the non-magic users are like, whoa, what is this? This is so cool. We can change the world, uh, right. put power in other people's hands. Uh, and I think that completely shows that here, even though I don't think Aang and Katara are actively thinking, you know, like, I don't like technology or anything like that. I don't think that's true, uh, other than Aang being upset about the blasphemy. Right. Um, I think it's just Sokka is more naturally drawn to that than they are. And there is something to it. I mean, we already saw the back in the, uh, the Winter Solstice episodes when he, uh, he tried, he described using the, you know, explosive balls to try and do simulate firebending and stuff. So we saw that he already has sort of an interest in this kind of thing. So it's, it's great that it's not coming out of the blue. Um, right. But this is really the episode where we see that interest start to come into its own um, because he's given an avenue to develop that interest more, you know? Um, and so we see him and the inventor working together to come up with things like, for instance, the inventor's like, Hey, there was this random air that exploded. Don't go down there. That's dangerous. Yeah, and Sokka, we can't smell it. And right. yeah. And Sokka and the inventor come up, uh, essentially Sokka is the one who's like, hey, what about throwing these eggs down there so that when the air leaks, we can smell it, which is hilarious. Which is just yeah. so funny that that's the solution we'd use. Right, like, right. I mean, and not, we, we use phosphorus or sulfur. I mean, so, sulfur. Yeah, we use sulfur. Which smells like rotten eggs. Or I suppose so, rotten eggs smell like sulfur is probably the... Yeah. Tomato, tomato. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, it, and it's hilarious, of course, and you know, but it, it's a clever way of implementing, like, hey, this is how we really do things, and this is a way that they could come up with that, and it's 
hey, look, this inventor couldn't come up with that on his own. He needed Sokka to help him with it. Um, it's yeah. it's really neat. Um, so we needed find, a different perspective. Then um, then we find that uh, there's an area where only an Airbender is supposed to be able to get into. And Aang gets in there, and we find out that it has been gotten into some other way. And we find a giant Fire Nation war balloon. And we're like, what the heck? And it turns out that the inventor has essentially been blackmailed into developing stuff for the Fire Nation. Um, developing technology, machines, and whatnot for the Fire Nation. And, you know, and we can tell, like, clearly he didn't want to do it. But... He did, and the Fire Nation is coming to get it. Um, and this is really neat, because actually, just what you were saying about the technological advancements of the Fire Nation, like, they are technology. We see some of the first really, really impressive Fire Nation machinery come in. Like, we see them with, like, tanks that are spiked and go up mountainsides and cliff faces, mm-hmm. um, which is super it's, cool. It's intimidating. It is. And, um, the, and our team basically just beats them with stink bombs and yes. <laughs> which is hilarious. Um, but the whole reason the fire nation is coming isn't to attack these people. They just want that war balloon that was developed. And, you know, our team fights them using the war balloon and stuff. And it seems like a victory, but it's kind of actually a Pyrrhic victory because when it comes down to it, the fire nation gets the war balloon after all, it's just down. And all they needed was like how the technology works. And once they have it, they could just look at it and duplicate it. Um, so I thought that was a really interesting episode. It, it was neat in kind of Aang by the end does get over kind of the blasphemy element. He's like, well, okay, when it comes down to it, we're not using it anymore. This place has done you guys a great service. It's offered you freedom in ways that you wouldn't have it. Okay. I'm okay with you guys. Um, but in the end, like what we see as a victory, none of our, none of these people realized was actually a loss. Like, Hey, the fire nation still yeah. got what it came for. And they're, they, they, yeah. they're oblivious to it, um, which is kind of interesting. Um, so there's that. And I guess the next thing that the next step is uh, chapter 18, the water bending master, which is a big <laughs> deal, a really big deal. Um, I mean, yeah, this is kind of a pivotal point in the series. Um, we get to the northern water tribe. And Which is very different from the Southern Water. Yeah, tribe. it's, it's like, I, I don't know what I was expecting, but it wasn't that. <laughs> no, I mean, we, I was expecting, okay, maybe there's a lot more waterbenders there, but not not the kind of differences that we saw. And it's, it's I, I mean, as I said, I wrote down that the Northern Water Tribe is majestic, because that is the word that came to mind. Um, it is built of, like, it's just these, this giant city of ice. Um, and there are lots and lots and lots of waterbenders there. And we find out in this episode that the Fire Nation takes the Northern Water Tribe very, very seriously. Which, there's no reason yes. for them to take the Southern Water Tribe seriously, because, you know, whatever. <laughs> They've already defeated them. Right. But we see that the Northern Water Tribe is, in fact, taken very seriously. Um, and we meet, because uh, we know that this whole time, Aang and Katara have wanted a waterbending master. And so we meet Master Paku. Oh, um, Master Paku. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and at the same time, in this episode, uh, because they're, they've decided that they are, um, this is an opportunity for the, the Fire Nation is going to attack the, uh, the Northern Water Tribe because Zhao is, or, or Jang, or whatever his name is. Uh, it's he, Zhao. It's, okay. So he is, 
he realizes Zuko is the blue spirit in this episode. Yeah. <laughs> I see you have two swords there. <laughs> yeah. Um, which is, oh, that, that scene, you're like, oh, cover blown. It's like, Zuko, come on. You could have hidden those. <laughs> and Zuko knows too. Like, Zuko knows immediately. He's like, ah, oh, crap, I'm in trouble. <laughs> um, so, yeah, then, um, so there, there's that. So, of course, there's that tension in the Fire Nation side of things. And, and he's basically taking Zuko's shit because he's like, you know what? We need every single ship that we can to attack the, the, the North. Um, and yeah. Master Paku. And I'm an admiral now. Wow. Yeah, and I'm an admiral and I can take whatever I want. Who cares that you were on this mission? I don't. Um, so uh, Master Paku is roped into, not roped into, I mean, he's like, what do you mean? Of course I'll che- teach the Avatar. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so Aang shows up for training and so does Katara. And Paku refuses to teach Katara. And we find out that in the Northern Water Tribe, girls are forbidden from learning battle bending they uh they're only allowed to heal and so um and we actually we also find out that katara's grand grand left the north in secret and we don't know why um like she knew that grand grand came from the north but we don't know why and you know and that's that's kind of an interesting sort of thing that starts off um we uh the admiral hires pirates to kill zuko and they actually blow up the ship that zuko is in um and it's pretty alarming. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Zuko is now not just on the run, you know, not just an exile. And now he's on the run. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, and, it, and, you know, the, that's the, it's the beauty of the show that they've made us hate this other guy more than we hate Zuko. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Well, and at this point, not, we also have I'm, some sympathy for for Zuko, too. So I hate Zuko, but... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you mean not that you hate Zuko. Sorry. That was that kind of I, I, yeah. yeah. I don't hate Zuko. I love him. <laughs> <laughs> but uh so going back to the Water Nation side of things, Paku catches Aang trying to train Katara. And so he decides, "Oh, you know what? You disrespected me. I'm not teaching you either." And this is of course the crazy thing is Katara challenges Paku to a fight. Yes. And and it, oh, of course Katara. it's kind of like idiot girl. Like, come on. But, um, but it's pretty darn impressive. Katara challenges to a fight and loses. You know, it's, it's one of those things that if Katara had been a boy, the master would have been like, that was awesome, you yeah. know? But because she's a girl, he's just like, see, you failed. Yeah. Go away. Exactly. And like, she does really, really well. Like he's on, you know, he's on the defensive a few times and, mm-hmm. um, and she's amazing. And we've never seen her do anything like this up to this point. So clearly she's just been getting more and more competent as time has gone on and the uh the emotion fueling her is helping her just you know be clearly pretty darn impressive um then uh we see that her we see we finally learn her necklace that she's had all this time that she got from her mother right um mm-hmm. and it was and we find out that her necklace turned out to be pakus it was uh, and sorry so to backtrack a little bit there is a scene where when she goes for the brief training that she's impatient with for the healing training, somebody's like, oh, who's the lucky guy? And she's like, what are you talking about? Oh, that's a betrothal necklace. And we're like, really? And then we find out that it was Paku who had proposed to Grand Grand, uh, or that was arranged to marry Grand Grand, and Grand Grand left because she didn't want to get married to him. And it's pretty crazy. Um, I, 
that's the one thing that struck me in this episode as contrived. And I don't think things are contrived very often in Avatar, but not that Paku was the one who proposed to her grand grand. It's that discovering that she was grand grand's granddaughter, uh, Paku's entire mind changed. Well, and the uh, thing that I get for that is the thing that I get from that. And I, I agree with you. The, like the defense that I can come up with it, not that I necessarily, yeah, not that I necessarily think it's sufficient of a defense, but the thing that I get is that maybe it's more of a, it got him to rethink things. Not, it didn't necessarily change his mind, but it got him to think, wait a minute, I keep acting like this and I have always acted like this. And that girl that I actually liked left because I act like this, you know? Yeah. And it was kind of that reinforcement. So like, I get what they were going for. I don't necessarily, it was a bit much, but I, I feel like there's more to that than just a, oh, it's because she's the granddaughter of it rather than because, okay, there's these other thoughts associated with, with her grandmother, you know? Um, but, uh, so Paku does change his mind and starts teaching Katara as well and actually gets pretty darn frustrated by Aang because Aang is not taking things <laughs> seriously. And yeah. And so he, he drives at a point where he like essentially expresses like, you know, there's something to be said about hard work over skill. <laughs> And oh, I think that's in the next episode, though. Is it? Yeah, yes. I guess you're right. You're right. Um, uh, but before we move on to the next episode, I forgot to mention this is the episode where Sokka meets the princess, Princess, princess Yue. Yue. Right. Uh, and he falls in love with her. It's true. And she's got weird white hair. And, um, uh, and, and this is where Uncle Iroh joins the Admiral, pretending Zuko yes. is dead. Yes. Um, and, he, and we know that he's conspiring to get Zuko to the Avatar first. Like we know that that yes. is happening. So, um, that Zuko is disguised on the ship as a soldier. Right. Um, and that jumps straight into the next, the two parter that ends this book, uh, the siege of the North parts one and two. And we can just <laughs> talk about these as one unit. I, I think so. Um, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. So, so uh, yes. Yeah. Fire nation. Uh, attacks this the Northern this does trip. open though with, uh, the master getting frustrated <laughs> with yeah. Aang for not learning. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, yeah, and it's uh, he, he does absolutely. Um, we find we also discover that there's a reason the Fire Nation is attacking the Northern Water Tribe here. Just as we found before that the Firebenders gain power from the comet, Waterbenders gain power from the moon. Um, or rather, that's not the reason the Fire Nation's attacking, but it's a it is something that we find out when the Fire Nation attacks because the Waterbenders yes. gain ability, and this is actually and that takes place. Um, uh, because I, I, Iro makes a comment about how they can't attack at night because of the moon. Right. And uh, Zhao is like, we don't have to worry about that much longer. <laughs> right. Um, Sokka gets in a fight with Yue's fiance. Um, Wait, before that, uh, I have a couple comments. Okay, go ahead. Uh, my first is Sokka, such a ladies' man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just love when he's like, let me, let me show you my flying bison. How, how does this work? Yep. Yep. <laughs> I just, I love it. I love it. Um, but then, uh, you know, so Sokka's kind of silly for the first couple of minutes of this episode, but things get serious really fast when it starts, uh, when you start getting the suits, the, the suit in the snow. Right. And suddenly Sokka's entire countenance changes and he's like, suit, I've seen it before, right before my village was attacked. He knows what's coming. Right. Uh, so, of course, he volunteers to help with... Uh, 
an offensive against the Fire Nation. Right. Which is where he meets Yue's fiance. Right. Her arranged fiance. Um, and we find, and of course, the fight itself, uh, yes. this is the strategy fight, right? Where he's, he's commenting on the suits. Um, yeah, where the, he's like, they, they're like, this is a Fire Nation suit. And, and Sokka just bursts into laughter. And he bursts into laughter because, yeah. of course, he's seen plenty of Fire Nation suits. And he's like, he's like, where did you get that? From 100 years ago? And then, they, of course, they get all the look on their faces like, uh, yeah, it was from 100 years ago. Like, <laughs> he's like, no, no, you need to make these changes. And um, and the interesting thing is, um, what's his name? The The leader of of them is like you know listen to what he says um yeah. for that part but then of course um and uh and the interesting well, thing is the way that their fight plays out um, they don't get into an actual fight until the fiance starts talking about ua right and how she's he it's clear he doesn't like her as a person not i mean he doesn't have anything against her as a person uh, he doesn't dislike her, but he doesn't like her either. He doesn't think right. highly of her. He's only interested in her because she's the princess, and it gets him in better with the chief. Right. Exactly. And um, that makes Sokka very upset. Right. <laughs> um, in this, uh, Zuko sneaks into the city, which, again... Yes, like, my comment is, uh, Zuko is such a ninja bamf. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's absolutely true. <laughs> this and the, uh, you know, the blue... Uh, spirit just underscore that zuko is a complete ninja he is like awesome <laughs> it's true also can zuko not get hypothermia does he just he just breathes fire i, I, I guess <laughs> yeah I, I don't yeah. know i don't know um then we see uh katara and zuko fight um and oh ooh, can i back up yeah, yeah uh, go ahead yep. oh you're okay, right so yeah. before zuko goes after the avatar he has a last moment with iroh uh and it's a very touching moment uh where iroh is like i just nag you because well ever since i lost my son i think you'd be as my own and zuko you know makes some comment back about how he loves him or whatever but the fact that zuko goes after the avatar just shows his feelings for iroh are not the same as iroh's feelings for him right uh because going after the after the avatar is going after his father's love right so right right absolutely um but at the same time he is touched by his uncle's affection like he yes he is so um uh, i also i forgot that ang ang tries to get to the spirit world to learn from the ocean and moon spirits um which is neat um i it's the i guess the first time we really see spiritual contact from ang um I believe. Other than, you know, the, than himself. the episode where Sokka got uh, abducted by the bear spirit. Oh, that's true. Woods. You're right. So uh, this, is, but this is the first yeah. time he actively tries to go there without, you know, and that one he kind of accidentally. Right. Yeah, he just pops up and he's surprised <laughs> when the people. the spirit realm, right. Right. Um, right. And this one, he's, uh, he's trying actively to get there. And of course, the girls are nattering away in the background and he yells at them. Right. <laughs> um, so then we get, though, to the Katara and Zuko fight. And, of course, we already saw that she's way more capable than she ever was before. And oh, I love that. When Zuko walks in and Aang, uh, Katara is talking to Yue and she's like, I am perfectly capable of protecting Aang. Uh, and Zuko, he's just so sinister because they don't know he's there. And he's like, well, aren't you a big girl now? And then the look on Katara's face and you're just like, oh, my gosh, Zuko can be such a bad guy when he wants to be. Right. And Katara is legitimately afraid of him. Well, because uh, she has no like, yeah, she knows she's improved, but 
Zuko has just been so... I mean, he is an incredibly competent and capable bender and warrior, and she's never been, like, anywhere near the point where she could do anything to him. Right. right. Um, but then we find that... And we know from Iroh's warning that, hey, the waterbenders have an advantage. Like, there's a reason not to attack at night with the full moon. And... Mm-hmm. um, But her, she really, really holds her own. She keeps... She keeps up with and with the help of the moon. She wins. The yes. problem is that once the sun is up, Zuko gets free and and that's that and takes Aang while Aang is still in his trance. Um, Zuko carries yeah. Aang across the tundra. Yep. Um, and then uh, the Fire Nation resumes their attack and things look really bad, which takes us directly into part two of the Siege of the North. Um, Aang is still in the spirit world and he hears of Roe the face stealer um which is I, I you know oh, the face yeah. stealer so creepy so creepy so 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 creepy um I'm still not really sure I think that the face stealer belongs in the show at all but because I still like every time I, I see the face stealer I'm like eh okay but it's so creepy um I just I feel like it's, he's one of those things that it's like a Chekhov's gun that hasn't been used. He's yeah. The, the gun is still on the mantle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm with you. And we're I'm all still waiting for it. You know, maybe it'll come into play. Who knows? Yeah, uh, you know, I follow some people who you know do like Cora commentaries, and you know they're all waiting for it. But who knows? Who knows? So spoilers to those of you who have watched this but have not watched Cora or the rest of the airbender so far we still don't know what happens with the face dealer long term like if he comes into yeah. play later um but anyways um so I, and i'm super impressed that uh, ang is man manages to not display emotion <laughs> yes absolutely because this is i mean ang is just, to the face dealer. he's a bundle of emotion i mean that is essentially what he is yeah so uh, it's really impressive that he manages to kind of keep his cool not show emotion and he loses it for an instant when the face dealer is not looking but recovers. Yes. Um, and that, that is something It's just like, Oh, so close to this story being over. <laughs> um, but, uh, in this, uh, Zuko complains of his sister and yes, which is the first the time first we really, we really learn of her. And he's like, she's a natural her, you know, according to his father who loves her and doesn't him is like, he's a natural. And, and the way he says it is, uh, she was, uh, excuse me. Their father, the Fire Lord, says that she was born lucky while Zuko was lucky to be born. Which yes. is, yeah, I mean, that, that sounds like something the Fire Lord would say, you know? It's just so disconcerting, though, to learn that there's this other person out there who is better than Zuko. Not just better <laughs> I mean, than Zuko, because Iroh's better than Zuko, but Iroh's an old man who's wizened right. and whatnot. I, at the same age, she's younger than Zuko and is considered a prodigy, and Zuko is not. Because we've already commented multiple times just in this season about how competent Zuko is. Right. Exactly. Like, he is so competent and capable, and yet, here apparently is someone that we know of but have not met who makes him seem incompetent. Yes. And that's just, that thought is scary. It's disconcerting. It, it, it is, it's frightening. Um, so the Admiral, um, he knows the moon's mortal form. He says that he knows the moon's mortal form and will kill it because that will solve this problem that the moon presented them with the previous night. And, uh, 
And then, of course, he says he's heard rumors of Iroh's journey into the spirit world when Iroh def- is like, no, you can't do that. And, of course, we're like, wait, what do you mean about Iroh's journey to the spirit world? What is Iroh's journey to the spirit world? <laughs> yeah. It's like, there was a journey? I want to see this journey. <laughs> I want to see Iroh's journey to the spirit world. I love Iroh. I want to know what he did. And, of course, uh, you know, here's Iroh just outright defying. Like, he's like, no, you can't do this. You can't attack the moon. <laughs> you know, this Which, is ridiculous. Which, I mean, makes complete sense because that, this is then not just war. You know, th- this is like an outright attack against Nature. the world right yes like he, um, <laughs> it'd be like if someone was like i'm just gonna go uh destroy the laws of physics now okay guys yeah it's like no <laughs> i realize is the face is the face dealer co or row i said row but i don't know now whatever i think it's co i think it's co yeah so uh ang the, the big thing is when he manages to succeed he actually learns that some that some koi fish are the moon and ocean's bodies that's right Magical koi fish. Magical koi fish. Um, <laughs> and we find that that uh, the admiral captures them. So he captures the moon, the moon koi slash spirit, which means that all waterbending stops working. Mm-hmm. Like just stops. And uh, and we see Iroh get pissed. Like he is angry for the first time we've seen. Period. He's yeah. just like downright angry and. And and so, like, the, the Admiral kills the moon, and Iroh's, like, angry and, like, fights him. He's like, no, you are not doing this. And he's just, he's so angry, and um, the Avatar, the Avatar spirit awakens in Aang, and the ocean spirit and Avatar merge into Koizilla. Um, yes. Because the ocean, the ocean spirit, you know, the ocean and the moon are, you know, are, of course, as in Gross. many other mythologies, they're, like, in other mythologies, they're lovers, and so on and so forth. So in this, the ocean spirit and the moon spirit are connected. And so the ocean is kind of taking vengeance through the avatar, um, becomes Koizilla and Aang single-handedly owns the entire fire. He trashes the entire fire nation army, like all of it. It's just gone. Or Navy, I guess would be the way to say it. Yeah. I mean, they didn't stand a chance. And now anyone who ever thought the avatar wasn't a threat, uh, (laughs) now they know better. Now they know better. And, um, Zuko and the Admiral fight. um, which is a big deal, of course. I mean, it's the second time we've yeah. seen the fight, but this time it's not even a an Agni Kai. It's just a flat out, you know, the yeah. Admiral doesn't have to worry about killing him. Um, and um, we find out that UA was special and she was saved at infancy by the moon. And so she gives the little bit of the moon's life back in order to save the koi fish and restore restore things, which is a really sad scene. And yeah. definitely comes back. Sokka is so sad. <laughs> and as he should be. Um, like, yeah. But yeah. Um, he just lost the girl he loved that he could never have had anyway. But she was beautiful and he did love her. And so I want to step back, just not step back, but I want to say as an aside, like, the Koizilla is one of the most amazing pieces of presentation in this show because when they use the Koizilla, there is no other color on screen. All color is the Koizilla and everything else is black and white. It's like the world itself yep. has been sucked out of color except for the ocean spirit and the avatar until UA becomes the moon. And then the ocean spirit leaves Aang and actually takes the Admiral away. And Zuko tries to save the Admiral, which is just like, yep. why? You know, again, just shows he's a decent person and he tries and it's the Admiral himself basically refuses his help. You know, it, Yes. If he had if he had deigned to take Zuko's help, he might have been able to escape alive. 
Um, and but it, you know. but it's inter- it's interesting um, with this whole show the way each season is um, set up. Zuko is our bad guy, as is the Fire Lord. Uh, but each season has almost its own big bad. Uh, and in this one, it was uh, Zhao. Right. Um, so you know he had to come to some sort of end. Uh, or not, as the case may be, as we see with season two. <laughs> uh, but th- and this is one case where they do defeat. Um, and, you know, just thinking, of, actually, just making that comment and thinking about it. This first season has, th- or this whole s- show has a very uh, classical setup in that the first season, they win, right? They defeat Zhao. Everything is happily ever after. Oh. As happily over after well, as it can so, be. We'll, we'll get, we, we should finish out what this episode finishes with. Um, yes, and then but, I, but I was just thinking that, you know, the second season doesn't end as happily, almost exactly like The Empire Strikes Back or right. The Dark Knight, you know, and then the third season, of course, ends in... Absolutely. Dif- goodness, so... Um, yes, okay, going this, back to the episode. So, the Admiral's gone, the, uh, the Moon Spirit is restored, the Ocean Spirit goes back to the, you know, to its place, um... And things seem okay, but we see the silhouette of the Fire Lord and declaring to, just declaring, Iroh is a traitor and your brother Zuko is a failure. I have a task for you. And that's the end. And it's just, and you're like, oh, so now we know (laughs) that we know Zuko's sister, who makes him look incompetent, is going to come into things. Yes. Um, I I love too that in this entire season and in this entire show, but in, in this season, or well, the entire show up until the end, we never see the Fire Lord's face. Uh, e- even in the Agni Kai with Zuko, he's it's just this like shadowy behind, figure, shadowy figure, right? Yeah, and you don't know who this man is. He's a faceless. He's faceless evil, um, but he's sending non faceless. Well, but we des- she's still faceless. I don't think we see her face in the very end, do we? Or, no, we've seen Azula. We saw her at the Agni Kai that's in the true, flashback. But we didn't know who she was at the time we saw her. No, we didn't know who she was. And so um, in this context, like, yeah, you can go back and see what she is, but do they actually show us her face? Yeah, they do. I don't remember if they show her the face at the end of the episode or not. They may or may not, whatever. <laughs> but um, but it, it, even so, like, we know that, okay, well, if she's going to become essentially the big bad of the next season, then we know that we're she's going to be the face of evil next time around. Because yes. Zuko, while he's still going to be an antagonist to to Aang, he's not the Fire Nation anymore. Like he's no. done. Um, and yeah, and and it's of course you know the interesting th- setup for this is we know that next season, like here we go, Iroh's a traitor, and that's absolutely true. I mean, he fought the Admiral, like he fought against the Fire Nation in this because because they were going to yeah. disrupt nature, and he's like, no, that that crosses a line. Um, and it's it's very interesting because of course all this time he's kind of been just like whatever this war is happening and kind of not he's not necessarily been complicit in it but he hasn't taken a stand because there's not been a stand to take right and now there has been and we know that there's some connection to Ira between Iro and the spirit world and we don't know what it is but essentially we know he's a he is a friend of the spirit world um and that's Exciting. Yeah, and I mean this—the end of the season sets us up for thinking Zuko is going to be good in the next season. You know, right? Like, because he's going to have to be. Because what else is he going to do? Right? Like, he's, right? The, the Fire Nation's out to get him. So of <laughs> he has he, to be good. 
And then, and, and then it gets us thinking, it's like, man, it would have been so amazing if they could work together like they did in the Blue Spirit and so on yep. and so forth and get Iroh on their side. And, you know, if they did that, Iroh could be Aang's teacher because who knows firebending better than Iroh and can teach in a way that is full of, like, pro-life and, you know, and and pro-spirit world and all that. Like, man, the way that my mind went at the end of the season, I got so excited at the thought of Aang being taught firebending by Iroh. And uh, it's a, it's just, it, it's really neat because I feel like that's how they're, that's how they're setting the stage, and we have no idea how Zuko's sister is going to play into things. Um, I mean, at this point, we really have no idea of the relationship between Zuko and Azula, other than Azula makes Zuko feel inadequate, or, or um, Iroh and Azula, because we haven't, because right. because you know what, Zuko is Iroh's nephew, Azula is Iroh's niece, his <laughs> niece, yeah. So yeah, I mean, we really know nothing about her other than she's a prodigy. Uh, and that she is the one that the fire da- the fire lord is proud of, which probably means she's probably a pretty bad person because, I mean, look at who he is. Probably, and how he but she's fourteen. You know, I had True. no prediction she would be who she was. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I was like, but, uh, this was the family that produced Zuko. I, I don't know, <laughs> but, I, but think... I definitely thought Zuko was going to be good. You know, a couple episodes into season two, I was like, okay, the beginning of season two, he'll still be grappling with this whole like I've been exiled thing. But you know, let's, halfway through, he'll be. Let's good. not get too far into that because we do have episodes no, no. that will come up where we will discuss book two. Um, yeah. So to I mean to end things really, just to go over kind of the general arc of this this book, um, it's one third of this show. And it really it introduces us to this entire world, the very nature of bending, how the different martial arts forms sort of reflect things. Um, so both from an aesthetic experience and how that translates to the lifestyles and the personalities of the people from each nation. Um, it introduces us to this war that's been going on for 100 years and this nation that now we found that, yes, while there is an aggressor nation, we know that the nation itself is not it, like it is at least some to some degree or another divided. Um, we have gotten an insight into at least some bad people on both sides, some good people on both sides or on both sides of the kind of the nation divide or the, the different bending elements divide. Um, we have seen, we've already seen our main three characters grow up a lot or the, our team grow up a lot. Um, we've seen Zuko become pretty, pro- uh, not Zuko, Sokka become pretty prominent and actually be given responsibilities in, in wartime. And that's a big deal um, because we know that a war is coming and that they have to, you know, they don't have long. And uh, so we, we've seen, we also know that, uh, that Katara is, you know, she's become a capable bender herself. Um, And we know that Aang has, he's got a lot more power under his belt than he thought. And that the fire nation can no longer defend, deny how severe a threat he is and he's no longer running yes and he's now claimed his responsibility um and now he's just trying to find how to most effectively get things done um yes so lots of setup lots of uh, and you know lots of turmoil that characters have been thrown into lots of potential changing of sides and we don't know how things are going to go we don't know how zuko is going to play into things we're hopeful and fairly confident that he's going to be a good guy but we don't know how that's going to happen what form it's going to take um and that's essentially it at this show just it did a lot i mean yeah it's 20 episodes but each episode is 20 minutes long so you know we're talking 400 minutes 
now. Yes. Yeah. 400 minutes. Yeah. That's, that's not a lot of really, it's, it's just not a lot of, uh, of time for how much development and description that they gave. I mean, that's what a little bit under seven hours and that's really not that much time considering all the story that has gone into this. Uh, and all the development and all the setup and the expectations that we have for more to come. And just the sheer, there are so many allusions to things that come later. There's so much obvious setup. So much. That is so, and I keep telling this to people who I cannot oversell that how solidly thought through this series is compared to most other TV I've seen. No matter how good a lot of the other TV shows are, there's just, some of it is just certain constraints that you have with regards to when you're making a live action show with contracts and, and things like you don't know how long the show is going to run. Um, you don't know how long you're going to be able to keep your live action actors, things like that. So you're at, you know, you're at the mercy of a lot of other extenuating circumstances while in an animated show, you could theoretically change voice actors if you need to, if something were to arise and they just did an incredible job of planning everything out ahead of time. Um, so kudos to them. I am excited for when you and I pick up, uh, pick up again on to pick up book two, but we're going to have at least one episode between now and when we start book two on something else. And, uh, so listeners should keep, uh, keep an eye out for that. Uh, we will see you, or I guess you'll hear us next time, right? All right, cool. Uh, before we go, uh, if you want to follow us uh, on Twitter, we, you can follow the, our Twitter account at TrivCrucial. Uh, you can follow Mandy at Brown underscore Aja. That's Brown underscore A-J-A-H. You can follow me at A-U-H-I-M. And you can check out the website, TriviallyCrucial.com. And we are also on iTunes, which I've never really mentioned before. But uh, yeah, if you want to bother rating us on iTunes, that would be fantastic. Because I hear that's how people find shows. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Have a great week or two or how longer it takes for things to get out. Hopefully just a week. All right. Bye, everybody.